Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hollywood is destroying itself, which for most of us is good news. We're happy to see it and anything we can do to help. Uh, (laughs) Right. Boo hoo. (laughs) With their strike, which it's the first time the writers and the actors and everybody have gone on strike at the same time since 1960. Well, it was a completely different reason and landscape back then, as the Wall Street Journal writes, and it's pretty darned interesting. We'll look at that maybe coming up next segment. I heard a rumor uh, Gavi Newsom, the uh, uh, dishonest governor of California, is, is trying to involve himself in that. That's interesting. Yeah, I could see him wanting to emerge as the 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 hero to people who think this is a tragedy. I've they, said it before. <laughs> Go know, ahead. I, I'm I realize I'm at a different point in my life and a different sort of person than the average Hollywood customer. But if they stayed on strike forever, <laughs> I'm not sure I would notice. I'll read a book, right, or watch something that you recorded two years ago, or five years ago, or fifty years ago. And to uh, briefly amplify a conversation we had very early in the show today, if you're living in a state that doesn't have piles of garbage in the street, doesn't have junkies laying around everywhere committing crimes, and doesn't have so much crime that even, like, salads have to be locked up at the grocery store, if you think we're getting cheated, we want our town to be like that, vote Democrat. And you might get a chance to vote for Gavin Newsom for president who can bring those pleasures to your town. Ooh, this just popped into my head. We are talking about what would it take? What would be the moment where Joe Biden would have no choice to, to step down? If he, if he did the same thing Mitch McConnell did yesterday, would that be the end? Like you'd have to like resign with by the end of the week, you think? Mm, interesting question. I don't know. Surely you would. Maybe, probably, perhaps. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, I think the scandal at the Justice Department might do the job just as well. 
And we will reset that for you and bring you some new analysis. The Hunter Biden plea deal that the judge tossed out yesterday was utterly corrupt. It was the DOJ trying to pull a fast one on the American people to protect Hunter Biden. This is clear. The analysis again uh, later on in the hour. If you haven't heard it yet, or even if you have, it's worth hearing again. So the people, in this case, our representatives, were working with the defense to come up with a good deal for the accused. Right. And if you're thinking, well, that the prosecutor works with the defense attorneys to craft the plea agreement, of course they did. No, they were on the same side of the table, essentially. They did something incredibly sneaking and corrupt to try to protect the Biden family like forever. Utterly inexplicable. And as the, the one of the attorneys even admitted to the judge, uh, no, there's no precedent for an agreement like this. Can you imagine? Anyway, more on that to come. I thought this was so interesting. Uh, a, a number of stories kind of came together in my uh, my head. Uh, Wired.com has a long piece uh, that's entitled, The AI-Powered Totally Autonomous Future of War is Here. Oof. And the subhead is ships without crews, self-directed drone swarms, how a U.S. Navy task force is using off-the-shelf robotics and artificial intelligence to prepare for the next age of conflict. And it's it's really good and informative, um, but it's super-duper long, and I didn't get a chance to highlight it. But um, it, it, it makes a little it clear that, scary. Oh, it's more than a little scary, if you ask me. <laughs> it's uh, the idea of these drone swarms. I read years ago. Somebody talking about sending forth nano drone swarms, these teeny tiny drones that could literally fly into the lungs of the uh, the enemy soldiers and kill them. But if a if a ship without people on it goes to battle with another ship without people on it, we all just watch it like a video game and see what ship emerges as victorious. That's the interesting part. You had the story, one of the other stories that came together in my head as I was reading that uh, Wired.com thing was uh, there was a pretty big story that didn't get a lot of attention. A Russian fighter plane attacked one of our drones. Well, it dropped flares that damaged the wings of one of our MQ-9 Reaper drones, which are those big, super expensive uh, reconnaissance and sometimes attack drones. I can't tell you specifically that the... MQ-9 could be equipped with missiles, but it might as well. Um, if they had done that to a piloted aircraft, this would be a serious, serious problem. And I get, you know, there's a human in the one, there's not a human in the other. On the other hand, if they take out $100 million worth of our technology, do we just say, darn it? and try to take out one of theirs or something? Is it war? It's like you've always asked. A cyber attack can cause billions of dollars in damage, terrible pain, fear, people dying at hospitals, whatever. But you drop a single bomb outside of suburban Akron, Ohio, for instance, that's an act of war. It's on. World crisis. Even if, you, even if the Russians blew up an empty building outside of some town, you're right. It would be absolute top life level crisis, but yeah. a cyber attack that does significantly more damage. We just kind of, well, we'll have to retaliate in kind. And is the future of naval warfare drone ship battles mm-hmm. and then airborne drones firing down at those drone ships and then drone submarines uh, blowing everybody up from the depths? 
And then is it like you said, it's just it's like a video game. And if our machines beat their machines, we tell them, all right, now cut it out. (laughs) And so one thing would be like if we're at war with China or any other country that also has this sort of technology. And the other thing would be imagine us going into Afghanistan the way we did in 2001. But we can do it without people. Yeah. And they don't they they can't they can't match that. Obviously, they're. You know, they're doing it old school with AK-47s and, and, and goats. Right, right. Uh, so I guess in summary, in terms of what war will look like in the future, at least to a large extent, things are getting weird and they're getting weird fast. Mm. One final military note. Um, the the Ukrainian uh, military is now significantly upping their efforts to dislodge Russia from that long, long front line. Um, they're really getting into it with limited success. Meanwhile, Russia has mounted an offensive in the north and east, I guess, uh, trying to make some positive uh, gains. That article had a number that I wasn't aware of. The Russians have placed millions of landmines. I knew that they had mined that line to the extent that the Ukrainians are having trouble breaking through. I didn't realize it was millions. Wow. Yeah, and I learned a little more about the the mine-clearing mechanisms that the Ukrainians have. It, like, sends out this long, ropey, roddy thing and, like, smacks the ground, and and it explodes all the mines and gives you a 16-foot-wide path through a minefield. But obviously, you know, you're going to be fired on as you're doing that. Sure. And they just have not had enough success to make any real progress. So uh, the outcome of that thing is still, I mean, just they're stalemated. They don't have air power. The Ukrainians are getting whooped from above. They need air power. Anyway, so that's your military roundup. Uh, a little bit later in the hour, we will get to the uh, Hunter Biden plea deal. And is this a bigger scandal, really, than any of the other stuff? Might be. I think it is. It reaches to the highest levels of the Justice Department. USA women trying to win their third World Cup in a row. Close one last night, if you haven't heard about it. A bunch of other stuff. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so... 
there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. First of all, bring you up to speed on the pop culture phenomenon that is Women's World Cup Soccer. They've won two in a row. They're going for three, which is practically unheard of in the world of World Cup Soccer. Uh, They had a tie last night with the Netherlands. Uh, This is a very exciting match. Here's a little recap. A match of the last World Cup final in 2019 when the Americans beat the Netherlands to take home the title. And stripped it. She got hit. Down a goal entering the second half, American captain Lindsey Horan injected some energy after taking a big hit from Dutch player Danielle Vandedonk. <laughs> Minutes later, while jostling for position on a corner kick, Horan and Vandedonk got into a scuffle, prompting the referee to momentarily stop play. And on the corner kick that followed. Payback for Horan, heading the ball into the back of the net. The match would end in a stalemate, and now both teams have one more match left to play in the group stage. So then the U.S. has got to win next to get into the gold or the, the medal round, I guess? You got to tell me, did you just call a 1-1 soccer game exciting? Who are you and what have you done with Jack? Well, uh, it wouldn't have been exciting if I spent an hour and a half of my life watching the whole thing. But that header play, that was unbelievable. And so I just watched the buildup and the drama. I mean, it had been really chippy between these two. They play on the same foreign team. They're teammates. Mm. But they're playing for their own countries now. And they kept hitting each other hard and then ended up in a shoving match and pointing and talking trash and everything like that. And then the next play after the, I mean, the very next play after the shoving match and they had to stop playing everything like that. The kick from the corner, heads it into the goal, points in her face. No, I mean, it was like, no. It was like out of a movie. It was awesome. Uh, and, you know, they got in the fight, and I was hoping they'd accidentally kiss, but that didn't happen. Wow, that is just out of line right there. <laughs> I, I've got a, a, a controversial confession to make. Okay. I flipped the game on, watched for a while. I thought, this is kind of sloppy and slow-paced soccer, and I turned it off. Wow. An American Joe Getty. You know, it, it happens sometimes in soccer. There's, it's like, you know, a basketball team that, that turns the ball over three times in a row down the floor. And if you watch that, you'd think they're a terrible basketball team. I have a feeling that was it. But another factor was that I'd just gotten done with a truly epic cornhole tournament <laughs> since I have family in town. And we all, we went head to head for a couple of hours. It was fantastic. 
Yeah, I was watching some soccer highlights the other day on YouTube, believe it or not. It was like the twenty, the 10 best goals from some player I'd never heard of who apparently is a big deal. And I thought, if this is what soccer was, if this happened more than once every hour, I could see, I could really see watching this sport. I mean, the, the, some of the goals are just flipping amazing, like a more amazing athleticism than I think I've seen in any other sport. Absolutely acrobatic. But yeah. if I have to wait an hour and a half to see one of those, I just it ain't going to work for me. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, we are going to get to the Hunter Biden thing. Recap it coming up here uh, next segment. And uh, this could be this honest to God could be bigger than Watergate. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah. The Department of Justice is uh, dirty. Dirty. So I came across this in the Wall Street Journal. Hollywood's st- strike risk. The uh, Actors Union let itself be pushed into a walkout by radical posturing when its leverage was low. It's the idea that the already rich, powerful people are really egging on the bottom layer to strike and how you're getting screwed and everything like that, and they've got no leverage. And, of course, it doesn't matter that much to the the nanny, Fran Dreischer, who's taken a leading Dresher, who's taken a leading role in this, or Meryl Streep, or Jennifer Lawrence, any of the other outspoken people who are really pro-strike, as opposed to the people on the bottom end. And the Wall Street Journal gets into, what exactly are you thinking here? There's something loose in the world, writes the Wall Street Journal, that seeks radical destruction for its own gratification. The last time the writers and actors struck together was in 1960, to get a share of the burgeoning new opportunity of TV. That's when TV exploded, was growing. Hey, we need to get a part of this. The opposite is happening right now. The latest comes as the streaming bubble is burst, as network and cable TV are in free fall, as the entertainment giants have begun downsizing and committing mass layoffs. The moment does not shriek leverage in terms of a negotiating plan. Mm, yeah. Then it gets into some of the numbers that I did not note uh, about at all. It's a tail wagging the dog dilemma that pervades the union. The Guild may boast 160,000 card-carrying members, but only 27% voted on the last contract. Um, An outside study finds that just 2% of those who appear in TV and movies actually make a living from them. Only 2% of people who you see in movie and TVs actually make a living from doing that. The Guild itself will say that only uh, 87% 87 of its members don't earn enough that would be $26,000 a year to qualify for health insurance. Hmm. Most members make less than $10,000. So the vast majority of these people are being pushed to strike with no leverage by the Meryl Streeps and Jennifer Lawrence's of the world are barely in the industry at all and not making any money. And it's not likely that they're going to make any more money since they don't have any leverage. Right, right. Wow. I knew that a large percentage of the uh, the big union wasn't making a living at acting. That you just have to get in it to even get started. But I had no idea it was that vast a majority. I didn't either. I've known a lot of people that did the whole, you know, you hold the boom mic or you run you run around and get water for people or whatever on movie sets. I've known a, no- a number of people that went to Hollywood and did that sort of thing. I didn't realize that was most of it. <laughs> That's most of it is people doing that kind of stuff. Or, or playing, even if you're on, on camera, very little parts for very little money. That's sure. like practically everybody. Um, we think of the Hollywood actors, writer strike and picture, well, Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, and, you know, other people like that. But that's that's not really who's on strike. 
Oh, yeah. Every waiter who was an extra in the uh, latest uh, Spielberg uh, epic is in the union. He doesn't even make car car payment money from that. In fact, he may never work again. <laughs> and they have and they have no leverage. Yeah, there's just yeah. no leverage happening. So yeah. the, the point of the Wall Street Journal is this could go on for a very very long time before they finally realize we better get back to work or there ain't going to be any work for us at all. Yeah, yeah. The most interesting thing I learned about this so-called uh, streaming, what was the phrase you used, that the streaming bubble had burst or something mm-hmm. like that? Uh, I look at all the super hot, great shows that everybody's talking about and recommending each, to each other, The Bear and Succession and blah, 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 um, and think, wow, that doesn't ring true. But then I came across in the Wall Street Journal the fact that Wall Street for a long time was rewarding the streaming services for growth. As long as you were growing, it didn't matter that you were bleeding money. But now they've realized, wow, a lot of these companies are never going to grow their way to profitability. They just bleed too much money. So now Wall Street is saying, you got to show us the balance sheet. And that's changed everything. It's a little oversimplified, but that's that's the key uh, turning point. So the day after the Hunter Biden plea deal falls apart, I flip on MSNBC and they have some lawyer guy as a pundit explaining how in the heck... This deal almost got agreed to before anybody, the judge, figured out that, no, 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 we're giving away the farm here. What's going on? You might find it hilarious. It is hilarious. And this plea deal was dirty. We'll explain coming up in moments. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Prosecutors had recommended two years of probation on that charge in the form of a pretrial diversion program. But the judge repeatedly questioned the constitutionality of that agreement, saying it was unclear whether it protected Hunter Biden from future charges, since the U.S. attorney has said the investigation is ongoing into Hunter's overseas business dealings. As disagreements continued on the plea, Hunter Biden attorney Chris Clark at one point said, quote, just rip it up. She gave both sides a month to explain why the original plea agreement should still be accepted. Yeah, they, I wish she'd given them 10 minutes. Yeah, no kidding. The, the, the Wall Street Journal's take on that was the judge asked prosecutors and defense attorneys to clarify the terms of the deal, and that's all it took for this to collapse, which shows you, shows you that there wasn't much holding it together. I mean, just one simple question. So what are the terms? And one side said something and says, no, it's not. And then that, okay. Yeah, c- kind of. Um, it, it did fall apart completely. And we can, remind me, I'll get back to the constitutionality question, um, which is a, a pretty significant one. But the main problem with the deal is that, and, and we can get into more detail on this because I came across some great analysis of it. They hid blanket immunity in a very weird kind of subsection of the plea agreement in a way that you would never do. And the judge said, what is this? And the both sides said, uh, I don't know, it's this. And the other said, uh, I don't know, it's that. And most of the media is portraying it as somehow it was a misunderstanding. In fact, now might be a good time to play, what is it, 51, the clip you asked for? Who among us has not sped through the signing of a house contract or a mortgage agreement or anything like that? It's 200 pages, 50 signatures. I don't think the government was doing anything sneaky here. I think this is boiled down to and something that is fair to criticize, a misunderstanding that should have been worked out well in advance. So do you buy the idea from that lawyer pundit on MSNBC that who among us hasn't signed a long mortgage agreement and we haven't read every part of it? Because, you know, we're not lawyers or what? I mean, well, you, yeah, you are but, lawyers getting paid to do specifically that. And you're dealing with the highest profile criminal case on earth. I that, mean, that explanation is hilarious to me. Well, that's what I thought when I heard it. I get that I do, because I just did this. I, I put an offer in on a house the other day, and I had to sign a gazillion pages, and I thought to myself, I wonder what's in all these things that I'm initialing, because right. <laughs> unless I'm going to hire a lawyer for many hours to go through it, I don't know what's in there. But this is this is not the same thing. You no. are lawyers. That's specifically what you're getting paid to do, is every single word and comma of this. You're some of the best paid and most famous defense lawyers and or prosecutors in the country. You went to Harvard and Yale. You're at the top of the Department of Justice. And this guy's saying, well, you know how it is. That's fine print and all. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. That's hilarious. 
So our uh, <clears throat> frequent correspondent, uh, JT in Livermore, uh, distilled the, the obvious questions down, I thought, pretty effectively. Uh, one, how is it possible there was any difference of opinion between the prosecution and the defense team? He goes into the uh, expertise of their lawyers, the weeks of negotiation, the going over it with a fine-tooth comb over and over again. It's how could that be? Two, why did the Hunter defense team immediately reject the deal once they understood it wasn't a complete immunity deal for any and all other Hunter Biden crimes? By almost all accounts, it was a sweetheart deal even without the blanket immunity. It reeks of an expectation to have gotten an even better deal than the the one that appeared to be given. And then uh, three, if there is still one or more open investigations by the IRS, why are these plea deals even being offered at this time? And it's a good point, as several prosecutors, including Chris Christie, have pointed out, you don't give them the plea until they come clean on everything. If you have an ongoing murder investigation against some mobster, you're not going to give them blanket immunity for you know their other crimes. It's just not done. And then came across this uh, from Will Scharf, who is a former federal prosecutor. He's worked on two SCOTUS uh, confirmations. He's a candidate for the Attorney General of Missouri. He was the policy director for Missouri's governor, etc. He is a serious fella. And he says, based on conversations with people who are in the courtroom today, in my experience as a former federal prosecutor, I think I know the full story of what happened with the Hunter Biden plea agreement blow up this morning. Typically, if the government is offering a defendant uh, to a defendant that it will either drop charges or decline to bring new charges in return for the defendant's guilty plea. The plea is structured under the federal rule of criminal procedure. Um, and then he goes into the section of the code, etc. Um, an agreement not to pr- prosecute Hunter for uh, Farah violations. That's uh, foreign. Uh, what is it? That you're lobbying for a foreign government, foreign entity. <clears throat> Foreign Agents Registration Act. Thank you. Yeah. An agreement not to prosecute Hunter for Farrah violations or other crimes in return for his pleading guilty to the tax misdemeanors, for example, would be a C-1A plea. This is open, transparent, subject to judicial review, etc. In Hunter's case, according to what folks in the courtroom have told me, Hunter's plea was structured under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 11C1B, which is usually just a plea in return for a joint sentencing recommendation only and contained no information on its face about other potential charges and contained no clear agreement by the DOJ to forego prosecution of other charges. Instead, DOJ and Hunter's lawyers effectively hid that part of the agreement in what was publicly described as a pretrial diversion agreement related to the gun charge against Hunter, a drug user in possession of a firearm and a felon. Instead, DOJ and Hunter's lawyers, oh, I'm sorry, I read that. So that pretrial diversion agreement as written was actually much broader than just the gun charge. You would never put this stuff in the pretrial diversion for the gun charge, he's saying. Um, uh, whoops, I lost my place. Ah, if Hunter were to complete probation, the pretrial diversion agreement prevented DOJ from ever bringing charges against Hunter for any crimes relating to the offense conduct discussed in the plea agreement, which is over there in that other section, which was purposely written to include his foreign influence peddling operations in China and elsewhere. Why so they put- would we, the people, ever agree to that? You wouldn't. It's absurd. In return for pleading guilty to a couple of uh, misdemeanors and accepting a pretrial diversion, which is a hell of a nice outcome for a pretty serious gun charge, uh, we say, all right, we'll grant you immunity from any investigations on any topic for like the entire 2000s. Because you're giving us so much, we're going to give you a lot. Well, what are what is he giving us? All right. 
not taking tax charges to court for which he's clearly guilty? Anyway, just a little more. Judge Norica, is it Nor- Norica? Norica. I mean, this woman's a hero, so I ought to know how to pronounce her name. Judge Norica smelled a rat. She understood that the lawyers were trying to paint her into a corner and hide the ball. Instead, she backed DOJ and Hunter's lawyers into a corner by pulling out all the details into the open and then indicating that she was not going to approve a deal as broad as what she had discovered. DOJ, attempting to save face and save its case, then stated on the record that the investigation into Hunter was ongoing and that Hunter remained susceptible to prosecution under Farah. Hunter's lawyers exploded. They clearly believed that Farah was covered under the deal because, as written, the pretrial diversion agreement language was broad enough to cover it. They blew up the deal. Hunter pled not guilty, and that's the current state in play. And so here we are. Hunter's lawyers and DOJ are going to try to go off and pull together a new set of agreements, likely narrower to satisfy the judge. Um, let's see. And then one other person pointed out that, uh, I guess this is the National Review, pointed out that Norica immediately, she said, look, as the hearing started, she said, don't be popping up and down every time I ask you a question. We're going to be here for a while, essentially. And she started asking them some very basic, straightforward questions and said, hey, this deal is very unusual. Why are you using non-standard terms such as broad immunity from other potential charges? Why is this agreement dealing with those charges in the section that deals with the other charges buried in there? What's going on? And she asked Prosecutor Leo Wise if there was precedent for the kind of deal he proposed. And he replied, no, Your Honor, according to the New York Times. So... Right, that fits in with this thing I want to read from the Wall Street Journal that I don't quite understand. So they write, the editorial board, the critical point came when the judge asked if the deal meant Hunter could still be prosecuted on other charges. The defense attorney, Chris, defense attorney Chris Clark said, no, Prosecutor Leo Weiss said he could. Hunter Biden could still be charged. Mm-hmm. Then Hunter's defense attorney said that wasn't his understanding. If the plea didn't give his client such immunity, then there's no deal, said Mr. Clark. Well, why did, if, if, if the prosecution's in on it, as Andrew McCarthy writes, as our emailer writes and everything like that, that it was they were working together to just try to get this over and try mm-hmm. to make it so Hunter couldn't ever be looked into, to protect the president, that's the whole point of all of this. Surely, right. surely you are catching this on. But why did, why did Leo Weiss say no? He can be charged with other stuff because he just had to as a lawyer. He's in court. He'd be he'd be yeah. committing a crime if he didn't say that. Uh or or admitting to the scheme essentially. Although he kind of admitted to the scheme um, by saying, "Yeah, there are ongoing investigations that this weird clause buried over here would have ended essentially," and that's why um, I just think the. Uh, the defense attorneys who had been assured that no, it will get this signed by the judge and it all goes away, said, "Whoa, we're withdrawing our our guilty pleas because, essentially, they didn't say this, but it's clear we pled guilty in exchange for blanket immunity, like for everything for all time, and we've got to completely rethink this." So the Wall Street Journal editorial board gets down to the the root of all this, which really is about. The president, and did he have any business dealings with his son, all that sort of stuff. That's what this is all about. Because if Hunter gets immunity, you can't look into any of his stuff. If you can look into his stuff and you start pulling threads, you might end up getting to the president. So here's what the Wall Street Journal says, and I don't know if I agree with them or not. 
Voters may not care much about the shady dealings of a dissolute son, but they will care if President Biden is shown to have lied about his knowledge of his son's multi-million dollar payments to Biden family members. Do you think that's true? Will people care about that? Do you have to, for, for Joe Biden to get into impeachment territory where he's really in trouble, do you have to show some sort of he got money and then enacted a policy? Or does him lying all these years about I'd never talked to my son about business and finding out he did talk to his son about business, is that enough? It might be enough. I think if, uh, you know, the spokespeople for why you ought to get rid of the guy can make it clear that, look, his son was going around getting millions of dollars from foreign governments, including our enemies, the communist Chinese, for goodness sakes. The Biden, and this, this part is undeniable. The Biden family got rich from dealings with the communist Chinese. Shouldn't that make you incredibly uncomfortable? So the media keeps saying, or the, the you know pro-Biden media keeps saying, there's no evidence of a crime. The Republicans have shown no evidence of crime. You don't have to have a crime to get... I mean, we all remember this, right? We've all been through a bunch of impeachments now, especially if you're old enough to go back to Clinton. You don't have to have committed a crime. An impeachable yeah. offense is whatever a majority of the House of Representatives says it is. And the Senate gets to decide if it's a high crime or misdemeanor based on... Nothing other than that language. And if and if and if if the if there's enough political push to the president's lying, he was talking to his son about business all the time. That could get you removed. It doesn't have to be a crime. I, I would agree. Yeah, it could it could build up that uh, powerfully. Hey, I, I almost forgot. I really wanted to get to Jonathan Turley's commentary on what happened in the courtroom. Maybe after a, a quick break, he, he's terrific as always. Because Dylan Archer is going to testify in, uh, on Monday behind closed doors, but he's going to testify Joe Biden was on dozens of phone calls or in-person meetings with his son about business. And so that's the day everybody's going to have to decide, is this a big deal or not? Yeah, I, I, I read that a source close to Dylan Archer, which is probably Dylan Archer, um, said that uh, he's going to testify that Biden was not substantially involved in the businesses, but he will absolutely make it clear that the idea that they never talked about it was a lie completely. Hmm. Is that enough to get you impeached? More on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, the problem with a plea agreement is you can't actually type in wink and nod, right? I mean, the the problem with this agreement (laughs) is that the judge read it and said, what is this? And part of the obligation of the court is to make sure that the defendant and the government are very clear on what the agreement means. And they weren't. And it broke down with the most basic questions. That was what was so surprising here, is that these are the types of questions as a defense counsel you work out with prosecutors in advance. But she basically asked one question, and the whole darn thing Thanks. fell apart. That's Jonathan Turley on Special Report with Brett Baer on Fox News last night. I don't think... In fact, I I think anybody suggesting that, oh, the two lawyers weren't on the same page. It fell apart after one question. That's impossible, given the people involved. They were just hoping the judge didn't notice the very strange little uh, Easter egg they'd hidden in there. Complete blanket immunity in the wrong section of the plea agreement under, like, a different topic. 
Yeah, I was just reading Mark Halperin's uh, assessment of the media coverage of all this and all of the dominant media while they are covering the story for the first time ever in many cases. They are going with the, what a crazy snafu. Can you imagine? How could they make it? Wow, that is some incompetence, isn't it? As opposed to if you're on the red side of the aisle, it's a clearly they were in on it together. Yeah, yeah, this is, it so reminds me of, you know, the guy who's caught leaving his workplace with a bunch of product that he's stealing and says, oh, it was an accident. It was an accident. This was not an accident. Uh, let's let's uh, next totally clip 47. Part of the problem is they really did want to cap out the case. They, the Department of Justice wanted to cap this uh, investigation, but they didn't want to say that it was now over. From the very beginning, the Hunter Biden team said that this is a closeout plea agreement, that there'd be nothing left to investigate. But the Department of Justice is telling Congress, we're not going to give you these witnesses or these documents because there's an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. You can't do both things mm-hmm. when a judge is asking you to specifically address whether this is a closeout or a continuing investigation. Yeah, these were not mistakes. Oh, how could they possibly not realize that you can't have it ongoing and then cap it as well? <laughs> no, it was intentional. So the so I read that little part from the Wall Street Journal, the, uh, the, the, the transcript of how it went down yesterday. The judge said, so do I understand that you can still prosecute Hunter for other things? And they said yes. And Hunter's people jumped up and said, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That's not our understanding at all. So if they were in on it together, was the guy who said yes counting on the judge not asking that question? Yeah, yeah. That was the moment they got caught. And he had to answer honestly because then you'd, you'd be, you might get disbarred. I mean, you'd be in some serious oh, yeah. legal problems there. Oh, yeah. She asked him point blank the one question they were counting on not being asked. Wow. It is a shoestring catch. Andrew McCarthy writing in the New York Post that this hero judge saved the day. I mean, because that, that, that is a shoestring catch. I mean, it was right down to the end. Hunter signs that. Guilty, Your Honor. Signs the paper. He's no more looking into Hunter Biden. No more pulling threads. No more f- trying to figure out who the big guy was. All that's over. Right. Wow. Right. One legal analyst who was quote, who was uh, commenting on uh, Will Sharf's uh, analysis, which I was sharing with you just a few minutes ago, said um, this was a hidden global pr- plea agreement. And the fact that they tried to pull that off is all the House GOP needs to impeach Merrick Garland. This is clear misconduct. It would not have happened without the approval of the upper levels of the DOJ. This is not something in, uh, a U.S. attorney, uh, assistant U.S. attorney and the U.S. attorney in Delaware are going to try to slip through on their own. If Garland wants to avoid impeachment, he should ask Lisa Monaco, who's the attorney in charge, for her resignation by close of business Friday. I don't know how much public pressure there will be for that. In a world where, in a world, um, in a world where uh, uh, the simplest explanation of a political issue is seen as too complicated for the average dip s voter, <laughs> will they be able to comprehend what happened? No. Or no. <laughs> I wonder. I hope there's some sense of there was dirty dealing and people get that. We've all signed a mortgage agreement. We don't know what's in it. Come on. Bull crap. We do four hours. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast. Armstrong and Getty on demand. Armstrong and Getty. 
I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.